Mawale. For the win. Good! wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Pino gets the crossing. He's towards Wallace. World Championship medal. She is the greatest of all time. You just can't say it enough. Wow. Women's singles champion, Serena Williams. Large. Williams into Bird. In the corner. You bet. She's done it again. Sue Bird. You're listening to All In, a women's sports podcast on WFUV Sports. Welcome into All In, a women's sports podcast here at WFUV Sports. It is a pleasure to start up this podcast today, and I'm doing it alongside some of my favorite people here at the station, Julia Moss and Taylor Massetta. Julia, Taylor, how excited are we today? I am beyond excited. I am so pumped this is finally happening. I know we've all been in production for this uh, for this podcast for a long time, like over a month. So to finally have an outlet to talk about women's sports is really amazing, and I'm couldn't be more hyped to, to be here with you too. I am so excited that we are finally here. I'm a female athlete, so I know like firsthand like how important it is to like talk about like like having a place to talk about women's sports. And I'm just so excited that we have this right here to be able to like talk about it every week. Just like share our athlete stories. It's just I'm just so ex- I'm just so excited. Yeah, I think you just hit on it. It's so important that we have this because I, I feel like with all the podcasts we have at WVV Sports. We've just kind of lacked in sharing a lot about some of the women's sports. So the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament, we don't get to talk about enough. The U.S. Women's National Team for Soccer, we don't talk about enough. And so here is the place that you're going to hear all of that and more. And we're doing it today. We're starting it up today. And to kick it off, let's just get into some of our favorite sports moments by women. Um, Julia, do you want to start first? Absolutely. An excuse to talk about great women's sports moments. I'll take it all day, every day. My favorite sports moment and on the women's side has to be the 2011 World Cup. It's like the 118th minute in the semifinals. They're playing Brazil. They're down by one. It's looking very bleak. And, and Megan Rapino just serves in one of the best passes, one of the best crosses I've seen in my entire life. Right to Abby Wambach, who heads it in, ties it up. They would go on to win that game. Uh, they would lose in the finals, but the the culture impact I think that game had in general to uh, increase the popularity of women's sports is like still felt today. So that's definitely my favorite. I remember watching that game live. I was pretty young. This was like 10 years ago. And I remember that happening. I was just running around my house like so, so excited because I played soccer uh, growing up. So, yeah, that is a very special place in my heart. Oh, man. I You know, I have so many. Like, I mean, if you hear it in the intro, Arike Ogombawale. That but there were two. She did two buzzer beaters in a row of both games, and I remember I watched that last one, and I was rooting for Notre Dame to hit that like game, and I was like, oh my! I remember just like leaping up from my couch, so unbelievably excited. It was like the first time I'd even like watched like an NCAA women's like basketball final. It I was just so so amped up, and of course I'm a track athlete. I gotta mention my favorite track moments. <laughs> I remember last year Olympics, we just harnessed the ultimate. USA women's four by four. You got Delilah Muhammad, the previous um, world record holder in the 400 hurdles, Cindy McLaughlin, the current world record holder in the 400 hurdles. Then you got Allison Felix, who's just a legend in like 
every single sprinting event in this sport. And then you got a Fing Mo, young upstart, casually comes to her first Olympics, scoops up the first eight, uh, first 800-meter gold for America in, like, I think it was, like, almost 60 years. So they come together, and naturally they win gold in the 4x4 relay. And it was just – I remember just watching it. I was like, girl power. This is awesome. So – yeah, I mean, so many I can pick from, but those two really um stick out in my mind. Those are some great picks, and and Julia, you honestly kind of stole mine originally when I was thinking of what I wanted, but I'm going to take it to a different World Cup, actually. I'm going to go back to the 1999 World Cup, where 90,000 people were at the Rose Bowl or pa- uh, pa- in Pasadena, California, and it was the largest audience ever to go to a women's sporting match at that point, and... After 90 minutes of just tough gameplay between China and the U.S., and they had two sudden deaths, we went to penalties, and the first four players on the U.S. team made their shots. One person from China missed, and it was up to Brandy Chastain at the time, and it was dead silent in the stadium for the, for the penalty kick, which you just never hear in soccer ever. And the rest was history at that point. She took her jersey off in celebrations. The hugest, it's like one of my favorite sports photos of all time, seeing her just kneeling on the ground, just so in shock of everything and to me that was the start of what soccer really was for the U.S. team and I also grew up playing soccer so that has a really special place in in my heart as well and so I'm glad we were able to kind of bring up some of our favorite moments because we're going to kind of turn it over to some not so happy stories uh, but most important stories that really have to be told in women's sports right now Um, and that is the Sally Yates report uh, the Sally Yates report came out, which was a investigation into the NWSL, specifically relating to harassment, abusive workplace conditions uh, for these women athletes by three different coaches. And it really was a bleak read. It's 319 pages of just absolute uh, heartbreak for these women athletes. Yeah, I, I read through most of it, of course, over the course of quite a few days because it's it's a lot. It's heartbreaking. It's It's too much to read at one time, but... I do think it's important for, for people to read it and understand what these athletes have gone through. I mean, every single page is just like another story of, of things that are just shouldn't have never, ever happened. And as a fan of the NWSL, someone who watched the league very closely as some of this some of these things were happening, it's like you have no idea that's happening behind the scenes. You're watching your favorite players do great things and you can you can't even imagine that that these coaches would be doing things like this. So it was a very, very hard read. And um, I'm really, I'm happy we're talking about it though, because it's very important. Yeah, I'm like really happy we have this space to talk about something that's really heavy and really hard to think about. Like as an athlete, I can't even imagine like the position that a lot of these players were in, like both like sexually and verbally, like all this abuse, like how scary it would be to be playing for this team you don't really know, like, you can't stand up to it because you don't want to lose your spot. It's just, like, it's horrifying to think about. And I, I'm lucky I've had very positive, like, coaching experiences in the past, but I know, like, if I was, like, dealing with something like this, I would probably mentally crack. Like, I, I can't, like, I'm giving all these women credit for staying so strong, but, like, I just, I can't even, I cannot believe it's been swept under the rug for this long. Yeah, and when you say swept under the rug, it was to such an extent. The first reports came back out in 2015 from players on the Portland Thorns reporting uh, one of the coaches, Riley, to a higher authority that they felt threatened by him. 
Um, his abusive behavior on the team was very bad. Um, Mana Shim was the player that reported the information. And Riley would later go on to be reinstated as another coach for another team. And it, it showed just how terrible these allegations really were and how s- ignored these athletes really felt. Most of these teams didn't even have an HR department for the longest periods of time. There was no anonymous reporting line until 2021. And so to think this was all going on even possibly before 2015 and no action was taken until 2021 and now 2022, it's really hard to stomach that. And when you look at some of these teams, it's not even a one-time offense. It's happened with multiple coaches now at this point with Rory Dames and Christy Hawley also being involved in the scandal uh, team owners also have to play a big factor into this and how they ignored the constant pleas from their athletes that this is a serious complaint and that this should be taken seriously. What I just can't, sorry, Zerulia, what I just can't believe is that these coaches were able to jump from team to team. And what it just, it just speaks volumes of how like the U.S. Soccer Federation cares more about the coaches' reputation and winning than these athletes that are literally in these teams and suffering. I, I just don't understand. Like, like, I feel like all they care about is like, oh, as long as the coach is in power, we're still getting the championship. We're still winning. But these women are getting destroyed mentally, and that's perfectly fair to you. Like, I just, I don't understand how it was allowed that someone who was proven to be, like, sexually abusing players was able to go to another team with no issue. Like, I, I don't understand. Yeah, I think that's the biggest theme of this this whole thing is just how avoidable not only the first instance was, but every instance that happened afterwards. The, the report really followed three main coaches, and that's Christy Holly, Rory Dames, and Paul Riley. And not a single one of these cases were just a one-off event. I mean, we look at Paul Riley, like, it's just so disgusting. It was considered a, quote, open secret that he had inappropriate relations with players. Allegations were brought either to the league or the federation every single year from 2015 to 2021. Yet he still held consistent head coaching jobs in the NWSL. And then Rory, Dan- Rory Dames, the abuse started in youth clubs. And then he gets hired at, at Chicago Red Stars. And because his his record, I guess, was so good with Chicago, a lot of that was swept under the rug. He said sexist, berating, and humiliating things to these players. And then Christy Holly, I mean, at Gotham, or Sky Blue at the time, he had a relationship with the player, married that player, was fired because of that relationship and how it affected the locker room. And then he gets hired at Louisville. And the same, I mean, not the same exact thing happened, but inappropriate relations with players is a theme with all three of these coaches and it's just it's just disgusting and I think even further than that the similar with the Holly job in Louisville when he was asked to resign the organization that he came from uh, at Sky Blue thanked him for his service as coach Uh, so to be a woman who goes through this and then to get your abuser thanked publicly for his hard work and dedication is downright disgusting um, it's absolutely sick that some of these women and high profile women also came forward. Women that we would know in the, in the general sphere, Kristen Press being one of those women to come forward, a uh, notable face from the U.S. Women's National Team, filed a formal complaint. It went nowhere. At this point, it really is difficult to think if the NWSL is going to have these major changes in a way they've started. Uh, New Jersey, New York, Gotham, Thorns, Red Stars. Uh, ownership has all stepped away from these organizations now at this point. Um, But it's still very hard to think that this is going to be something that is going to change overnight. It's not going to change overnight, in my opinion. And it sucks for women to be treated this way. And I don't know what the steps are going to be going forward for them. 
Yeah, and I'm seeing here, um, NWSL did announce that they terminated the contracts of the Orlando Pride coach Amanda Cromwell and then her assistant Sam Green. So they were saying, oh, we found that they engaged in like retaliatory conduct. And um, Cromwell's like responding. She's like, oh, I'm sad and disappointed at the results of the NWSL's investigation. But she's literally putting the blame on them. She's like, oh, it lacked transparency. This was unfair to me. But if you're getting fired for retaliatory conduct against your players, there's obviously an issue there. Like, the, if the players come out and stuff. So there, some of these owners are just not really seeing anything wrong in their actions. And I really just hope that we can either hope, I mean, if they came around or if we can find people that, are, that refuse to follow in their footsteps and instead build like a healthier team mindset rather than being like, oh, this is unfair that you guys investigated into me. No, if you did something wrong, own up to it. We need someone better in place. Yeah, and <clears throat> the the Cromwell situation is also really interesting because it is separate from the Sally Yates report. But for the first time that I can remember, at least, the National Women's Soccer League put out a very uh, transparent report, um, acted in a more mature way than we've seen, and a more in a more fast paced manner than we've seen um, in the past, which. Um, it should be the standard, but it is a good sign that um, they have a new you know, standard for themselves, um, announcing that uh, pretty quickly and, and actually being completely straight up because, as, I mean, as we see, the, it, Christy Holly got fired, quote, for cause. That never uh, followed up on that until the, until the Sally Yates report released. Uh, the NWSL is a really, really bad uh, past with transparency. So this, this was a good step in the right direction. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, what U.S. soccer president said, Cindy Parlo-Cohn, she said the abuse described in the report is extremely inexcusable and has no place in soccer on or off a field. Along with everyone at U.S. soccer, I'm squarely focused on the changes we will make to address the report's findings and make soccer safer for everyone. It will take all of U.S. soccer's membership working together to create the kind of change we need to ensure our athletes are safe. And I think they're doing it now with that Cromwell firing. Cromwell has said that she's going to take legal action against the decision. Um, and I think it speaks to just how the coaches really thought they would get away with this behavior, um, especially some of them who refused to cooperate during the search uh, and the investigation that went on originally with the Sally Yates thing. And I think that it's really coming to them at this point. And I wonder how many, mo- how many more coaches are really going to be exposed for this kind of behavior. Yeah, and I'm hearing that the USSF is already making some changes. So they're establishing like a new office of like participate, participant safety. So they're going to oversee like conduct policies and like report like different soccer records from Safe Sport just to make sure that everything is being disciplined properly. Um, they're also going to finally mandate a uniform minimum standard for background checks for anyone that's interested in coaching for the US, so- like for US soccer. So hopefully that can kind of weed out the bad ones before they get into a position of power that might be hard for people to remove them from. Um, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping and praying that this follows through. I'm also hearing that they're going to establish like an individual with each team for, for players to go to if there is an issue. I really hope that happens. I, I feel like that is just such an important aspect that every team needs to make the players feel just a little bit safer. Like playing sports should not be somewhere dangerous for a woman. It should be somewhere that they can just let their talent shine, spend time with like their teammates, their friends, it, instead of just like worrying about like those that are those in power that are supposed to protect them. Absolutely. And <clears throat> Maddie, to your point about how many other coaches are we going to see? I mean, 
it's a crazy fact, but I mean, I don't know how many coaches are left. Like, if you look at, I mean, just off the top of my head, I don't know if I can name more than three coaches who are currently coaching that were there in 2020. Um, it's really unfortunate because that is how many coaches have engaged in and uh, inappropriate misconduct. I mean, of course, Gotham's coach just got uh, just got fired, but that was for uh, performance reasons on the on the field. But I mean, I honestly like there aren't that many coaches left, which is obviously a good thing that uh, they've been uh, removed from their positions. And hopefully this new this new slate going forward really uh, embodies a different culture for the National Women's Soccer League. Yeah. And we talk about how mentally it must be draining on these women. And I, I really have to look at the recent U.S. Women's National Team games and think something might have been looming over them with this. And to that, I want to kind of transition into the U.S. Women's National Team because they just played in two matches over the past week. They faced England in a big game at Wembley. They dropped that game 2-1 to one on Friday. Now, yesterday, they took on Spain. They also dropped that game 2 to nothing. This team just has not looked the same as of recently. And I think most of it comes to the missing of the starting lineup. There are some key players that we are used to seeing that are just not there. Alex Morgan is not there. Julie Ertz is not there. Mallory Pugh is not there. And when you start messing with some of the basic chemistry of this team, you're kind of asking for trouble, especially when you play the Euro winners of this past year and Spain, who is no pushover team whatsoever. But Spain was lo- had lost 15 of their players. And so you got to wonder, what went wrong for this women's national team on the big stage this past two games? Yeah, I mean, starting with the U.S. women's national team versus England, I mean, when I look back at that game, they didn't play well. But when I think about that game, I'm, I'm visioning that as a draw because they, a goal was called back, and I've seen that from various angles, like as many as there are online I've seen and I just cannot find they call it a gold back they called it off sides I just don't see uh, I saw where the line was I saw a defender in front of the forward um, but take that as you will they lost that one 2-1 uh, they didn't necessarily deserve a draw they played like they were a losing team um, England's passing abilities are just so good and, and that's something the U.S. needs to improve especially in the midfield area um and there I mean the first goal came from a defensive blunder by two separate players and then the second from a mental mistake with a high boot from Haley Mace uh resulting in a penalty kick avoidable mistakes I think and that's not something we're used to seeing from the U.S. women's national team yeah definitely and I think when you look at this England team they really were missing some of their key players as well and the U.S. women have just really lacked possession and they've lacked offense recently uh, when you have a team that really cannot generate offense, it's been kind of nagging with them for a while. They were shut out three times in six games back in 2021 at the Olympics, and they were only they only won their Mexico and Canada games in the CONCACAF championship by one goal. That's not enough to sustain a team that just won the Euros and steamrolled almost every single team they faced. You're facing top teams right now, and when you don't have that offense, it, it really is not working out. And I, I want to call that to almost the Spain game as well. They cannot attack against a five back. When you have five defenders, you have to put your entire you know front half forward with your midfielders all ready for the attack and your forwards ready to weave right through. They were not able to do that against a five back. The front six just did not work well together. It's an offensive problem, and I, I don't know what Vlad is going to do to really fix this issue at this point. Yeah, I mean, it really is just a, a tactics thing, and that really always comes down to the coach. Um, 
I've been saying it. I've been screaming it for since the first game, since that Sweden game over a year ago. I don't think Vlatko is the guy. In my opinion, I think looking at coaches who have really proved themselves, I don't know why Laura Harvey is not the coach of the U.S. Women's National Team. She's the coach of O.L. Reign, and she's, I mean, everything she touches just wins. So I don't know why she's not the, the coach. I don't know why she wasn't hired to begin with. She's been in charge of some different uh, U.S. Uh, other teams, not the national team, but she's been in charge of different uh, areas of different uh, other teams. But, um, yeah, I mean, against Spain, 15 players didn't didn't even show up because of the abusive behaviors of, of Spain's coach. And um, it's definitely more of a, a side story, but I really hope that Spain upsetting this game doesn't make the Spain Federation think, oh, my gosh, this guy is a great coach. Let's keep going with what we're doing because that would be super awful, obviously. Um, but uh, uh, two years ago, if you tell me the U.S. Women's National Team loses to a team full of players who were not on the team prior, I would I would be stunned. And we're getting really close to a World Cup, and they're definitely not ready. Even with players coming back, I think that makes a big difference. But I think it does come down to tactics, and that comes down to Vlatko. And if he's the coach going into the World Cup, I think we're going to see a performance much like we saw in the Olympics. Right. You know, I feel like this is just kind of going to show how good Europe is getting. They're catching up to the USA, and I think these two games kind of proved that they're starting to close that gap a little bit. I think the U.S. women's team needs more confidence. They need to be more aggressive. But I think England and Spain are two top-notch teams, and they really proved it this weekend. Yeah, and I'm actually curious to pick your brain a little bit about this, Taylor. As a student-athlete, how much influence does the coach really have on your gameplay? And I know you run track, so it's obviously a little different. But when you're in a losing slump like this to two really good teams and you're about to head into the Bain stage, what do you mentally have to do to kind of change your mindset? Uh, the, the coach is a crucial part of my mindset. And it, they can really make or break you. Um, coming from, like, experience, like, if we go into something with our coach, like, very, like, positive, like, hyping us up, he's like, I know you guys can do this. Let's, let's look at what we did wrong the last time and then try to make it a little better works wonders like I've had multiple races where I made multiple mistakes and like one like like I run the 800 meter dash maybe one le one lap I fall asleep one lap maybe I go a little too hard like if a coach like takes me aside we go through it we look through like what I could have done better that helps it's positive reinforcement so the next week I'm gonna do great if you go into if the coach is very negative or let's say like verbally abusive like some of these others like do nothing but like make you feel bad about the mistakes rather than embracing those mistakes, that definitely plays, like, a big, big role. And I feel like I'm hoping for the UN's women's national team, something similar is kind of happening there. They're focusing on, like, oh, what did we just do so wrong against England and Spain? What can we do better? I just get so worried, like, especially, like, after wearing the, reading the Yates report, that might very well not be happening. They might be getting a more negative, like, reception from that coach. And it's the coach's job to keep the team, like, all together, you know? Like, they're, they are the glue. They're the glue so they can make or break it. And that is, like, they're just such an important role. So I'm really hoping that's more positive than negative. I just, well, after this report, I, I just don't know. I don't know. And some of the coaching questions that they've made has really confused me. I, I want to highlight Germa for being one of them, who didn't make the start against Spain, who has been very performing well at center back, where Alana Cook had chosen to have been started over her at some points. Same with Huerta, who also didn't play in some of the matches. 
Rose Lavelle did play solidly in these matches, but I'm very, I really want to get back to the Gurma. Why do you think Gurma was not playing? What do you think Vladko decided really to put that center back line in a different perspective? Um, there's been a lot of things that Vladko has done that I don't understand, and uh, this this is up there. Um, I it I think it's a thing with uh, professional soccer in general, just uh, conserving minutes, like game plan. You know, there's a lot of things we don't know, a lot of things that that Vladko is trying to see going into the World Cup for different rosters that we just don't know. So I'm not gonna like get too critical of this choice but uh, something I noted here is is Naomi Gurma is the real deal she is she is incredible she is so young I think she's a rookie in the NWSL she is she's already making such a big difference and I think that's incredible um but yeah there I mean it's something I was confused about in the in the Olympics something I'm confused about now uh but again I think I have no I have no choice but to trust because the alternative is bleak yeah and I do want to also point out the U.S. set pieces have also lacked in recent games and I think that speaks to Megan Rapinoe in in particular who is responsible for the U.S. corner kicks they were just not dangerous at all for any of these games and when that is your main portion of set pieces that you're trying to establish and you're not getting in any dangerous position into the goal box you got to wonder how are you going to be scoring these goals off these teams that are going to put intense pressure or going to have a five back you can't play the ball through every single time. It's not going to work like that. You need to make sure that your corner kicks are on point and really shape up well for your team. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's something that I noticed, especially in the England game. Megan Rubino was not playing to her usual potential, usual performance, and you make a really good point. Uh, without set pieces, that's a that's a big chunk of the U.S. Women's National Team game plan that, that goes out the window. And it's not going to get easier for this team either. I mean, we're looking forward November 10th. And November 13th, they've got two games against the second-ranked Germany. And I don't know how the FIFA rankings work or how fast they're updated, but right now that's a 1v2 matchup. After these two losses, I don't know where the U.S. stands as far as rankings go. But if they can't beat Spain with nobody, no starters on the team, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if the, the roster—I'm sure the roster changes uh, for the next month. It'll be really interesting to see how it all goes. Yeah, there's nine months until the Women's World Cup, so the U.S. team has a lot of work to do. And I really hope that they can kind of, like, figure out what's going on before it's too late. Yeah, just to update, the top 20 rankings haven't been updated since August 5th, where the U.S. was still in first with about 2,111 points. Germany was behind them with 2,059 points. So definitely that ranking has changed by now, especially after the Euros, with England rising to fourth, Sweden is in third, Germany, like I mentioned, in second. So it will be interesting to see the ratings once they have all shaped up. But I want to turn it a little bit closer to home now. And Julia, you served as the New Jersey, New York, Gotham beat reporter for the season. And they didn't do so hot, to say the least. Um, They finished dead last in the NWSL, uh, to put it bluntly. Um, And they went into their final game of the season on a 12-game losing streak. They tied their final match of the season against Portland 3-3, what went wrong for this season for the Gotham? Yeah, first of all, what a random 3-3 three to three tie to end the season <laughs> after going on a 12-game losing streak against uh, the second-ranked team in the NWSL. I was watching that game like, where has this been all season? But, I mean, you raise a good question. Going into this season, we, we were a playoff season. We were a playoff team the, the season prior, so uh, expectations were raised, especially after signing Christy Mewis, Ali Krieger, Ashlyn Harris, 
Um, some other people, I mean, we, we did like completely get rid of all of our goalkeepers and sign and draft like three or four new ones. But I mean, expectations were high going into the season. And I mean, we, we broke records, just not good ones. <laughs> uh, we, the longest losing streak in NWSL history. That wasn't the record we wanted to break. But, um, but yeah, as far as what went wrong, I think it's just team chemistry, probably. I mean, we signed a whole lot of new players, a whole lot of new starters, and, I mean, we lost Carly Lloyd. It's hard to replace that because she had been with the team for quite a while. Um, so that's what I'm going to I'm gonna draw it up to. They just need more time to play together. Um, but it's hard to come up with excuses when your roster – like you look at this roster on paper and you're like, this is a playoff team. You've got Christy Mewis. You've got Mitch Purse, Allie Krieger, Ashlyn Harris, Paige Monahan, Amani Dorsey. I mean, you've got on paper a stacked team. But then you look at the standings and you're like, wow, this team is historically bad. I don't exactly know what happened. We just couldn't score goals. We lost most of our games by like 1-0 or 2-0. So it's not like we were getting like completely blown out. Um, we just couldn't score goals. Right. And you bring up the fact that they really aren't losing by a lot of goals. And I think that speaks to kind of this defensive lineup that they had that was pretty solid. And I want to highlight the two wingbacks, Smith and Dorsey, who I thought were really impressive in a lot of the films that I watched of them. Absolutely quick players. They're smart players. They're just not getting into the offense enough, I feel like, that the coach is not playing them enough. When they're playing a 4-2-3-1, they have that entire space up the right and left side to run, and they're just not getting in there, and they're not scoring goals. But this team on paper, I'm looking at it right now, I'm looking at the what their roster lineup was against the Portland Thorns. It's a solid lineup to me. Like There are some very talented players in here. For some reason, there is just a lack of connection, and I, I think you might be right that this is just when you have a new team, a brand new team, your chemistry is just not there yet. And I think it'll take time, like you said, to develop. But are we thinking next season to see a major improvement? Are we going to see them rise up into the six and seven area? Or is this going to be kind of a slower rebuild process? The optimist in me is like, of course, like we're going to be in the playoffs next season. Everything will be great. But I was so stunned about the way this season happened. I don't know anything anymore, I feel like. (laughs) Like, I just don't know how a team with that roster performs so poorly. So um, unless we make some big changes, which honestly, like looking at this roster, you don't want to make huge changes because the roster is so good. But if it doesn't perform, it doesn't perform. So if we don't make any changes going into this next season, it'll be really interesting. Um, I I have no idea. But but to uh, switch a little bit, we did change coaches. We have an interim right now. I don't know if he's staying for next season. That's to be determined. But I think something else that went kind of wrong with Gotham is uh, tactics. I know they're super, super committed to building from the back, which is fantastic. It works for some teams. But if you spend the time working from the back and making your way forward, you've got to score. Like, you've got to score when you actually get in front of the goal. If you're not sending it up every play and getting a lot of shots, when you do get those chances, you have to score, and they just weren't. So as far as next season... Couldn't tell you. I have no idea. <laughs> um, I'm I'm hopeful. I hope they learn how to play with each other. Um, and yeah, I, I, it can't get worse. It can't get worse. I, I mean, do, the only yeah. way is up. Exactly. That's the only direction they can go. Yep. Yeah. And I do want to. I do want to kind of like almost wrap up on this group question. You know, somebody's got to lose at the end of the day, <laughs> and someone's got to be in last place. But how do you really get through that mentality of 
it's okay that we're in last place. You know, next year we'll be better. Like, how do you think this team is really feeling at this point <laughs> when you finish with a 30-goal differential <laughs> and 13 points when the highest person has 40? It is daunting. Um, <laughs> I, I don't play sports. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a tall order. Um, I would love to know. I'd love to... Uh, get in the minds of, of probably McCall Cerboni, the captain right now. Um, but, I mean, I think the best way you got to go about it is just looking at it like, well, we're going to prove people wrong next year. Like, we were not good this year. That's an indisputable fact. You can't argue with last place. But, I mean, using that as motivation next season to surprise the league. And, and I mean, this even this season we've seen a lot of surprises. Um, both expansion teams, or I'm sorry, Angel City, I'm not sure if they made the playoffs or not, but San Diego – finished third San Diego and Angel City are two of the expansion teams and usually when you see an expansion team in the NWSL you're like okay they're finishing at the bottom of the rankings and that's been historically true last season with Louisville and Kansas City but we're not seeing that now Uh, San Diego led by Alex Morgan um, Angel City led then by Kristen Press now it's more of a definitely team dynamic but the NWSL is incredibly unpredictable as a whole especially now so you never, I don't know. Who knows? I think, um, I think next season will definitely be better, though. It has to be. Yeah, I mean, no one likes, like, there's just, I cannot help but always root for the underdog. And then maybe if they see themselves as like, oh, we need to prove something next season. Like, no one's going to expect us coming flying out of the gate. I feel like that will help. I mean, the pow- motivation is very powerful. And I feel like this will hopefully light a fire under their butts so they can do a little bit better next season. Um, Maybe, like, the new coaching staff will really help. But, yeah, I mean, we'll just have to see. But, like, I really hope they can turn it around. Like, I always root for my New York, New Jersey teams. And, like, I want to root for the Gotham. I want to see them have a winning season, you know? I do as well. And I'm really hoping that, you know, hopefully when you cover it this year, Julia, maybe it'll be a better season to really follow. And they might make a playoff run this year, fingers crossed. But, ladies... This has been so fun today. I'm, I'm so glad we got to kick off this inaugural episode together. I just want to give a quick shout out to our producer today, Brian Raybax, and a special thank you to my two lovely co-hosts today, Julia Moss and Taylor Massetta. I'm Maddie Bamonte. Have a great rest of your day and tune in next week for more women's sports content. All In is a production of WFUV Sports. Mm-hmm.